Today, I'm pleased to make a truly historic announcement in our battle against the China virus that will... On Sunday, August 23rd, the president announced what his press secretary had billed as a major therapeutic breakthrough. The FDA has issued an emergency use authorization, and uh, that's such a, a powerful term, emergency use authorization for a treatment known as convalescent plasma. Convalescent plasma comes from the blood of people who've recovered from a disease, in this case, COVID-19. This is a uh, powerful therapy that transfuses very, very strong antibodies from the blood of recovered patients to help treat patients battling a current infection. And the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Stephen Hahn, was there for it. Thank you, Mr. President, for your leadership. Um, it's good to be here today to announce um, FDA's recent decision. Han said that independent and FDA scientists had evaluated clinical trials, published studies, and the history of convalescent plasma therapy and had concluded it was safe for COVID-19 patients. Then he claimed there was a 35% improvement in survival in patients who got the plasma. What that means is, and if the data continue to pan out, 100 people who are sick with COVID-19, 35 would have been saved because of the administration of uh, plasma. At the end of the briefing, in response to a reporter's question, Han reiterated that 35% figure and stressed its significance. If you're one of those 35 out of 100 people who uh, these data suggest or show survive as a result of it, this is pretty significant for that person and their family. But here's the thing. That figure was a gross exaggeration of the existing research, and Han immediately faced accusations that he caved to pressure from the president to approve convalescent plasma for emergency use and calls for his resignation. One critic, Dr. Eric Topol of the Scripps Translational Research Institute, shared his concerns with Ari Shapiro on NPR's All Things Considered. You tweeted at Han saying, serious mistakes undermine your credibility. How serious is this mistake? Extremely serious. This is about a treatment that has no proven benefit and we have the FDA as well as the secretary of the HHS, the president, all claiming that it's a breakthrough. And I could not be further from the truth. There is no evidence for that. And just over 24 hours after the commissioner's appearance with the president, he tweeted a mea culpa. I have been criticized for remarks I made Sunday night about the benefits of convalescent plasma, he tweeted. The criticism is entirely justified. But mea culpa aside, concerns remain. Is Dr. Han trustworthy? Is the FDA? Should Americans trust any medication approved by the federal agency? And what might that mean for the safety and efficacy of any vaccine the FDA approves? Well, if you want to know the answers to a question, go to the source. So I asked Dr. Han. This is a Petri Dish side dish, and this week we share my one-on-one -on -one conversation with FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn. Good morning. Dr. Hahn. Morning. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Okay, so wait. Before we dive into this interview, I want to tell you just a bit about the FDA Commissioner's background. Dr. Hahn is new to politics. He's an oncologist by trade, a cancer doctor 
who specializes in radiation treatments. Before he moved to Washington to lead the FDA, he was in Houston, working as the chief medical officer at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. But late last year, not long before news started to trickle out of China about this new SARS-like respiratory virus, Han was tapped by President Trump to run the FDA. During his confirmation hearing, Senator Mitt Romney asked a prescient question. Would Dr. Han be willing and able to buck political pressure to make decisions that protect public health? Senator, thank you for the question. Um, You know, as a physician, I took a pledge many years ago to uphold the ethics of medical practice and to always put the patient first. Senator, I take that pledge very seriously. Patients need to come first. And the decisions that we make need to be guided by science and data congruent with the law. That pledge would be sorely tested in the coming months. So, Dr. Han, you were confirmed as commissioner of the FDA in December of last year, like five minutes before everything changed. So tell me about that experience. So um, you're right. It was uh, December, the end of December, um, started shortly there after about a week um, after that at the agency. Um, spent my first six weeks uh, doing what I think most folks would do, which is to try to get to know the agency, um, uh, understand the culture, the people, the processes. As you know, FDA regulates about 20% of what consumers purchase. So there's a vast uh, amount of medical products, but also food, devices, et cetera, that um, are regulated by FDA. So spend a lot of time uh, doing that. Um, And then of course, COVID-19 hit. One thing that I've learned that has really, um, I think, stood stood up well for me personally, but also for the agency, is that I came to know that uh, the career uh, staff at FDA are absolutely outstanding. They're unsung heroes. They um, have incredible expertise. Can you tell me at what point it started to become clear to you that this coronavirus, this this new coronavirus, was serious, maybe unlike anything any of us have ever experienced in our lifetimes? So um, in in late January, um, after um, hearing reports of what was happening in China, but also um, getting regular briefings on this through the Department of Health and Human Services, um, we stood up at FDA um, an incident command group, um, as well as an um, agency executive group, um, because we at that point uh, were, were concerned that this could turn into a significant public health emergency. Um, Since that time, those groups have met. Um, So it was early on that we thought this might occur. And of course, I think most of us in the country um, in February and early March realized, um, particularly after um, it spread pretty significantly to uh, Europe, um, that this would be coming to our shores and that this was a significant um, public health uh, uh, emergency. So the FDA has really been in the fire since all of this started, right? Since testing in February, which was really kind of a wreck. And then there was hydroxychloroquine and then convalescent plasma issues. And these things are the things that people are pointing to now when they say they're concerned that the FDA might approve a vaccine before there's enough evidence to support that it's safe and effective. So let's start with hydroxychloroquine. Okay, time to step out of the interview again, just to give you a little more background. Back on April 4th, the president, who'd been promoting the malaria drug hydroxychloroquine for use in the treatment and possible prevention of COVID-19 for several weeks, did so with even more intensity than usual. 
And I say it, what do you have to lose? I'll say it again, what do you have to lose? Take it. I really think they should take it. The Food and Drug Administration had given the medication an emergency use authorization one week earlier. That meant doctors could prescribe it to their patients for COVID-19 outside of clinical trials. And the president had stocked the nation up on it. We have uh, purchased and we have stockpiled 29 million pills. But two and a half months later, the FDA revoked the emergency use authorization. So Dr. Hahn walked me through the approval process for the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine and explained why it was later revoked. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, uh, uh, the emergency use authorization is an authority that um, is in statute and given to FDA um, in order to... um, uh, to allow for the, uh, expedited um, uh, authorization, not approval, but authorization of products. It gives us flexibility. And the standard there um, is a standard that looks at risks versus benefits. So with respect to hydroxychloroquine, I think we all know that there was significant demand for the drug. And we were hearing about significant shortages of the drug. Um, at that time, there were no authorized or approved Um, agents for um, uh, the treatment of COVID-19. So when this emergency use authorization was put together, it was tailored uh, for just what we saw in the literature at that time and what we knew from the preclinical or or laboratory test tube data, um, which which was for sick hospitalized patients. Um, Now, one of the the major reasons to uh, have done that is because we had donated drug Uh, to this uh, strategic national stockpile. Um, And um, in order to get the drug into the system, um, we uh, we issued an EUA. Uh, That was upon uh, legal advice um, at the time. Now, as with any EUA, um, and we're continuing to do it with all of our EUAs, we will modify our decisions based upon incoming data. So um, as as data accumulated in particularly a randomized clinical trial called the recovery trial, which showed that um, hydroxychloroquine was not a benefit for hospitalizations, um, we revoked the EUA. So, uh, Bonnie, this is akin to a doctor in an emergency room. When you're first seeing a patient, um, you have a data set that may be limited. You may not have all the information that um, would normally be available. You make the decision at the time uh, to do the best you can uh, to address the medical situation in front of you. But as you gather more data, you would uh, adjust that decision. And that's what happened with hydroxychloroquine. And two of the things that I want to highlight, one is, um, there, there, is, there is evidence to suggest that hydroxychloroquine uh, interferes with the drug remdesivir, which is another authorized drug, um, and then also that there are uh, potential heart side effects of the drug that really need to be considered by doctors. So, doctor, would you talk about these decisions at first being demand-driven? What, wasn't a lot of that demand-driven by the president and his statements? And do you find the needs of the FDA related to science and data are coming into conflict with this administration of which you're part. So, you know, I want to emphasize, Bonnie, that that we have throughout this pandemic used the data available to us. um, And we have not made those decisions on any political considerations. Um, They have been made upon the science and data available to us. There um, has been throughout this um, pandemic a significant, um, uh, you know, I think significant urgency because of the life-threatening nature of COVID-19. 
But, Dr. Hahn, there are people who say the science was and remains soft around convalescent plasma, and your statements at the news conference announcing the emergency use authorization for convalescent plasma led to calls for your resignation. So, what happened there? Yeah, so our um, career scientists um, had um, uh, been looking at the science and data around the expanded access program for um, several weeks, if not months. Um, and um, have been prepared before that press conference for several weeks to issue the emergency use authorization. And Bonnie, I stand by the decision that was made by our career scientists around this. The decision was made on four lines of evidence. One is published data in COVID-19 for convalescent plasma, at least a dozen studies which supported it. Animal, animal work, which supported the use of convalescent plasma. The results of the, um, of the, uh, uh, the expanded access program, which demonstrated that in a subset of patients, there, there uh, was a, a potential benefit um, and the data looked promising. Now, with respect to the press conference, I've been on the record um, uh, that that was clearly a mistake by me and it was a misstatement and, and I own that for sure. So, I bring all of this up just to get to the point of vaccines. We're kind of having a crisis of confidence in the nation about vaccines generally and COVID vaccine specifically. And these these things we've been talking about, they're some of the reasons, right? So let's talk about vaccines. First of all, tell me what role the FDA has in COVID vaccine development. Yeah, so this is um, this is really important. Um, FDA um, is not running the trials that are being performed, these late stage trials. When the data from the phase three clinical trials um, are available, um, and that will be determined by what's called a data safety monitoring board, as well as by uh, the sponsors of the clinical trials, the manufacturers or developers, um, they will go through a progress, uh, a process based upon pre-specified criteria in the trial. And when the analysis occurs in those trials, then the sponsors will apply to the FDA, either through an emergency use authorization process or through um, a regular approval, what's called the Biological License Approval or Application, BLA. And so one of those two mechanisms will be the, 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 the application that we receive from, uh, from the manufacturers, from the developers. At that time, our scientists will look at the data. I don't know when those data will be available from the clinical trials, so I have no idea what the timeline is. Okay, so when you say you don't know what the timeline is, is November 3rd a possible endpoint for a timeline at this point? Um, November 3rd uh, does not um, factor into this. It is when the data are available for us to review. Um, I think everyone in America wants a vaccine as soon as possible, but everybody in America wants a vaccine that's safe and effective. When the data are mature from the clinical trials, they'll come to us in an application from the sponsor, um, and then we will go through our rigorous process of assessing the risks. Could it be mature from your point of view before the election? Um, I, I can't speculate. I just don't know. I don't have access to those data from the clinical trials. So I honestly don't know, Bonnie, the answer to that question. Most experts uh, in your field say that's just not possible. Um, so what do you say to them? Um, they could be right. Um, and, and I don't want to prejudge it um, either way. Um, what I can tell you is that uh, when those clinical trials for the data safety monitoring board, remember, this is not an FDA issue, but when those trials um, are assessed by an independent data safety monitoring board and they make a judgment, and remember, they can make one of a couple judgments. They can make a judgment that the trial needs to continue. 
they can make the judgment that the trials met the specified endpoints and can uh, the data are mature. They can make a judgment that um, there's adverse events and it needs to be stopped for safety reasons. So um, what I can say to those who um, uh, may be in the know is that um, you're probably speaking about information you know. I can tell you from an FDA perspective, we don't know when that's going to be. Okay, so before we move to the next question, I want to talk about the Data and Safety Monitoring Board. Dr. Hunt said right there that the FDA wouldn't even get a chance to consider a vaccine for approval until it makes it past the Data and Safety Monitoring Board. So what is that? Well, the DSMB is a panel of independent, nonpartisan experts who evaluate clinical trials. As Dr. Hunt noted, the DSMB has the power to speed trials up, it has the power to stop them, and it will decide if any of the current vaccine candidates being tested in humans right now will even make it to Han's office for approval. The identities of the members of the DSMB are kept secret to protect them from outside pressure. Outside pressure. We have our military that delivers soldiers, and they can do 200,000 a day. They're going to be this delivering This is the same man it's who all told set you. Up. By Easter, this had be gone away. During the first and now possibly the last presidential debate, President Trump pushed back against statements made by the heads of both the CDC and Operation Warp Speed about vaccines. Both of them have said publicly that a safe and effective COVID vaccine wouldn't be widely available until next summer. Trump said that's just not true. It is a very political thing. I've spoken to Pfizer. I've spoken to all of the people that you have to speak to. We have great Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and others. They can go faster than that by a lot. Become very political. Dr. Hahn, do you feel pressure from that statement? Um, I don't feel pressure from that statement. Um, I, I don't know if the, the, the president was referring to FDA with that statement. Um, I, I can just re repeat what I said to you is that we've been very clear about the process where we are going to use. We are going to use that process. Um, we have used a process of relying upon our um, great uh, career staff at the FDA throughout the pandemic, and we will continue to do that. The president may or may not have been referring to the FDA at the debate, but he was when he tweeted directly at Dr. Hahn a few days ago that, quote, new FDA rules make it more difficult for them to speed up vaccines for approval before Election Day. Just another political hit job. And if you had any question that the president was talking to Dr. Hahn, well, he tagged him in the tweet. So after weeks of push and pull between the White House and the FDA, Hahn's agency published new guidelines that make it extremely unlikely that any vaccine will be approved before November 3rd. The new guidelines require, among other things, that vaccine developers monitor half of their trial participants for side effects for at least two months following their final dose of vaccine or placebo before approaching the FDA for authorization. No, the president is not happy about that. But Dr. Hahn said in a statement that he hopes the guidelines will help the public, quote, understand our science-based decision-making process that assures vaccine quality, safety, and efficacy. Which brings me to our last question. What is it like to go from being a doctor in Houston to FDA chief during a pandemic? In the blinding glare of an international spotlight, 
with every word you say being scrutinized and politicized. Dr. Han, how do you handle that? So what I always try to do um, is to communicate the facts as we know them. Um, and remember, during a pandemic, um, some facts may be known, some facts might not be known. And, um, you know, I, I relate this to being a doctor where um, you give the absolute best information that you have at the time and you update it when you have more information. Um, it's what FDA has done throughout this pandemic and what um, I have tried to do uh, throughout this pandemic. Thank you so much, Commissioner Hahn. Polls over the last several months have consistently found that Americans are extremely suspicious of potential vaccines against COVID-19. Just 51% of those polled by a research company for CNN in the first week of October said they would try to get vaccinated if an affordable vaccine became widely available. 45% said, nah, and 4% had no opinion. A poll from Pew Research last month had similar results. 51% said they would definitely or probably get a vaccine if it were available today. 49% said, "Uh uh-uh, definitely not, or probably not. So this is a problem. The point of a vaccine is to stop the spread of this coronavirus in its tracks. But for that to happen, an estimated 70% of the population would have to get the shot. 51% ain't going to cut it. So part of the problem, for sure, is the perception that organizations like the CDC and the FDA that exist to protect public health have become political tools of the president and cannot be trusted. And releasing a vaccine before there is a solid body of evidence finding that it both works and is safe is a potential disaster. Because if it isn't, good luck getting even 1% of Americans to try the next one, and rightly so. Commissioner Hahn's recent move to publish new, stricter guidelines that vaccine developers must meet before asking the FDA for an emergency use authorization may be evidence that he is aware of that. So when we were talking before I let him go, I asked Dr. Hahn how he intended to repair this tarnished trust many Americans have right now for him and for the agency he leads. He said he intends to be transparent about how his agency reaches each of its decisions, including those on vaccines, and to keep talking to people like me. Will it help? Or is the damage done? I don't know. I guess we'll see. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by Dominic Anthony Walsh and me. Our sound engineer is Jacob Rosati. Our executive producer is Fernanda Camarena. Texas Public Radio's news director is Dan Katz. Mark Mehmet is the managing editor of the Texas Newsroom. This podcast is a production of TPR and the Texas Newsroom, a collaboration between public radio stations across Texas and NPR. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon.